You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I'd like to invite up my uh, friend, uh, Randy Jaspers. Randy is the regional minister uh, for the North Central Association and the Manitoba Baptist Association. Uh, Essentially, Randy is a pastor to pastors, and he serves churches uh, as part of our North American Baptist Conference. And so Randy's here to open God's word for us, and I'm just glad you're here, brother. Uh, I'm going to pray for him briefly and uh, pray for our time, and then uh, we'll keep going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you already uh, for the worship that you've received from your people uh, from early this morning far across the globe uh, and even uh, here already today. And we pray that you would speak mightily um, through your servant, by the Holy Spirit, from your word uh, to encourage and build up your church here this morning. Thank you for Randy and his willingness to serve us. Uh, Give us hearts to receive what you have for us from your word. Through him, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, River City, for inviting us. Christy and I live in Jamestown, and we've um, been privileged to worship with you in days past, and Jake um, invited us to come and be present with you and share with you. I, I tell you what, I get, I, I was at the first service and uh, as well, uh, obviously, because I was preaching, but... Um, I was getting really excited by what Mitch shared. Why? Because I'm, and you'll hear this later, but because I grew up in a rural area, and because 39 years ago, the first church I served was in a community smaller than Park River, a church a little larger, and, um, you know, God has kept us here, and for a number of years uh, sharing in ministry, I work with... Um, about 50 churches, and, and there's going to be a note coming up here. So if you want to know a little bit more about us, the Manitoba Association, North Central Association, together form the Northern Plains region. So if you go to npregion.org, you can find out a little bit more information, put up a few articles every so often. The next slide shows kind of where those churches are located. Uh, 28 of those are in North Dakota, another handful along the northern slice of South Dakota, one extreme southeast Montana, then 17 in Manitoba. Somebody came up to me afterwards, they said, do they go way up there? And I said, no, Um, actually eight of them are in Winnipeg, another four are within an hour of Winnipeg, another one a couple hours north, and then if you go northwest of Winnipeg, about three hours, there's one near Dauphin if you're familiar with that, and then along the Saskatchewan border, so a good five-plus hours northwest of Winnipeg, or think of Minot, goes straight north about five, five five-and-a-half hours straight north of Minot in the Swan River Valley are three more. So why do I tell you that? Why was I excited about what Mitch shared? Because of those churches, of those 50-odd churches, some are more odd than others, um, 60% of those are rural congregations. Now, how do I define that? You may define Jamestown as rural. 
You may define, well, maybe not Jamestown, but certainly Valley City. I'm defining it from communities of about 3,000 and smaller. And so 60% of those churches are, are in those kinds of contexts. So I understand that. I, I get that. I've served in, in that kind of context. We have a church now open in Wishick, uh, North Dakota, and um, they're currently looking for a pastor. If you go straight north on the interstate and get a half hour north into Manitoba, you pass through a community called Morris. We have a church there. It is surrounded by water now. The water that has, continues to go up, the Red River and tributaries, and that's another half hour south of Winnipeg. Today, a half hour east of Winnipeg, we have a pastor and his family. They're checking out a church. They call it candidating. And um, the churches and the, and the couple, the family is de- discerning God's will. Is this the place where they should serve? Um, Within our conference of churches, and it's binational, in other words, U.S. and Canada, um, we, we uh, NEB Conference, the next slide, nebconference.org, you can find out some more information. But one of the things they put out is a publication called Onward. You can get it in the hard copy or digital. Uh, you can take a look at it, and that's why I uh, mentioned the website. But in this last issue, just within the last month, the Joyful Obligation of Kingdom Partnerships, written by the, the lead pastor at Bismarck Baptist. Also within here is our most recent church plant within our association in Bismarck, Missio Church. Um, their church planning pastor, Josh Husaby, is, uh, there's an article in here about them. They planted, um, formally planted, April of 2020. Now think about that. What was happening April 2020? That was a great time to start something new, right? Um, I, I, I joked in the first service, I'm now thinking of things, we, we, we look at timeline BC, before COVID, uh, DC, during COVID, and I'm not sure if we're quite to the AC yet, uh, after, but, but they started with a, with a community group, with a missional community. And just this few months ago, three months ago in February, they began their regular, their worship service on Sunday mornings, but they have grown. We were with them last Sunday, and, and Josh told me, he says, you know, this is the largest we've ever had. Um, and I said, well, it wasn't because I was here. Um, they had 101 people together. And I said, hey, Josh, we weren't here. You'd been at 99. So, um, but they are hopefully going to be moving into their home facility later this summer. And there's a whole lot more to that, and that's why I mentioned that. But those are things that are, are happening in our backyard, so to speak, that are happening among the folks that we interact with. Uh, thank you so much for inviting us, um, for praying for us, um, for being a part of God's work locally and indeed throughout the world. Uh, and I bring you greetings from Phil and Joe Putz. How many of you remember them? That name goes back a little ways for some of you, but Phil and Joe uh, were a part of River City, part of Southwest, which is now Grace City. Um, we saw Phil and Joe two weeks ago when we were coming through the cities and had breakfast with them. So greetings, greetings from them. If you were to 
get or, or think of three words to describe yourself, three words, what would those words be? As you think about that, we're going to watch a very short video. You is kind, you is smart, you is important. You is smart, you is kind, you is important. <laughs> well, how many of you have seen the movie The Help? Yeah, I think probably most of us. Um, that scene is one of the signature scenes in the movie where Abilene, the, the family na- uh, maid and nanny, reminds May who doesn't seem to be important enough for her mom. She wants to remind her some things about who she is. So what are those words that you'd use about yourself? Kind, smart, important, not bad words. What would other people use to describe you? Frequently, we use words that reference our occupation or our family name or the place where we live. Today, we're going to look And we've already heard the words, but we may kind of just miss them when we're reading them. We're going to read, we're going to listen or focus in on the words that God uses for our identity. Before we do that, a little bit of note on Colossians. It's written by Paul, we know that, while under house arrest in Rome, lightly chained to a Roman soldier, Paul writes this letter to a church he's never visited. It's founded during his ministry in Ephesus by a co-worker from the area named Epaphras. Paul is concerned that some of the practices of this community indicate a faith that is not fully centered in Jesus Christ. Rather, it is influenced by some of the local beliefs that are coupled with a kind of quasi-Jewish emphasis on keeping various rites. In other words, they are follower, they say they are followers of Jesus, but they're adding some things to it to the point that Paul is concerned where this is going. And he says as much in his opening prayer for them in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And so, Paul says, from the very first day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge. Now, we know that knowledge is not just stuff goes in here, but this is an experiential kind of knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul is concerned that they grow in their understanding, which will then help them grow in their relationship with God, which will then lead to lives bearing fruit that then points back to him. Now, Paul continues, if we go through it in Colossians and Uh, chapter 1 and verse 15, he he begins to talk about who Jesus is. It's just a wonderful passage packed through, uh, packed full. Uh, The first verse of verse 15, he says, he is the image 
of the invisible God. And that's an important word, that word image, and we'll come back to that in a moment. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the one by and for whom all things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, rulers, powers, authorities, are created. The one who holds all things together, who is the head of the body, the church. He's the the firstborn from the dead, which means there's going to be others born from the dead. Okay? Our hope, uh, those of us in Christ. In whom, in Christ, all God's fullness dwells, through whom God reconciles all things to himself on earth and in heaven who makes peace by his blood shed on the cross, by whose blood we have been bought from the slavery of our sins and instead forgiven. So those verses are felt by many to be what's called an early Christian hymn, words that would have been repeated, even sung to each other, shared with each other. We have similar passages like that in Philippians 2, the end of 1 Timothy 3, and likely the end of the prayer that Paul concludes chapter 3 of Ephesians with. Paul tells us that these things are so in 1 Corinthians, in, in, verses 11, or in chapters 11 and 15, he, he talks about sharing things that were also, that he were also delivered. In other words, they, they were words that they were shared together and with people before we had what we know as the New Testament. In chapter 2, Paul points to our baptism as our reminder and identifier that as we went down into the water, we were buried with Christ, and as God raised Christ from the dead, so we were raised with him. Paul says we were dead once dead in the wrong things we did, but now we are alive. Indeed, our life is hidden with Christ in God, one day to be revealed in glory when Christ appears. So, all of that to say, Paul shares who we are in Christ, then who we are with Christ. He then challenges his readers to put to death the earthly things. And he gives us two groups of five. One of them is sexual sins, whether of deed or attitude or focus. Likewise, sins of anger, whether expressed or desired, should also be put away. Put off that old man and put on the new, Paul says, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the thinking after the image. There's that word again from chapter 1 of its creator. So what is that renewed in the image of the creator Jesus thinking look like? Well, Paul draws a contrast in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3 which explain our identity in our creator's image and how we live that out. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all, or in everyone implied who is in Christ. 
Now, Paul includes a similar list if we read one of his earlier letters to the church at Galatia, the believers there. He also includes male and female there. Now, just really briefly, Greeks looked down on Jews who looked down on Greeks because they weren't Jews. The Jews followed God's law and bore the mark of the covenant through circumcision. And the Greeks thought they were, you know, not sophisticated enough. The Jews thought, well, they, you aren't part of God's people. But the Greeks also looked down, as well as the Jews, on the barbarians, because they're not Greek. And everybody looked down on the Scythians. I mean, you didn't want to be a Scythian, or at least unless you were a Scythian, I suppose. They were the worst of the worst, more barbaric you could say. Now, you add the distinctions of those who were slaves or servants belonging to others and, and those who were, were free. Paul, what is Paul doing? He is describing the way we identify and separate ourselves by religion, ethnicity, and class, which includes theological, economic, cultural, political, and social divisions. And you and I do this all the time without even thinking about it. Let me give you a personal example. So I grew up, the oldest of five children on a dairy farm in Iowa of Frisian, think German-Dutch, descent on my father's side and Scotch-English on my mother's side. We didn't have much. I went to one of the smallest public schools in the state. We went to a Baptist church. Are you getting a visual picture? Add an education degree from a Christian university in Arkansas and seminary in Sioux Falls, a wife, five adult children, three grandchildren, and my identity is now linked to my upbringing, my education, and my family. Would your mental image be the same if I'd grown up native? If I include who I voted for, the news sources I consult, my interests, my positions on Let's take, for example, the pandemic. You can develop, like the algorithms online, a profile of me. What does Paul say? While all of those and more may be helpful to understand some things about me, those are not the way that God sees me. He sees me as new in Christ, with Christ. Yes, a process. Being renewed in the image of our Creator means that we begin to look at each other not by how we are different, but by what we share. And what is it we share? Christ. Now, now we must not make light of the differences or the impact of the way we've treated each other. And there are things that we've not experienced that perhaps we need to patiently listen to and deeply from others. But then let us come together to Christ. Christ is all, Paul says at the end of those words in verse 11, and in all, in every one. The King, Jesus, is all and in all. In other words, those who are in and with Christ. So what does that mean? 
Paul uses three words we may have zipped right over in verse 12, first part of the verse, which serve as the basis of our new identity in Christ. First one, chosen. This word is used of Israel in the Old Testament. And we could get off into a whole bunch of that. The, I love to talk about what I call the Old Testament Great Commission, Genesis 12, and what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. Chosen was a word that was used of Israel. But here Paul uses it of Gentile believers. Why? The reason is that we belong to Christ who is called chosen. 1 Peter 2, as you come to him, a living stone, this is Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, what? Chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But why are we chosen by God? Ephesians 1, he chose us in him, God chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, so we're adopted into God's family through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. Jesus says that God chooses us to go and bear fruit that will abide, that will last, John 15, 16. So, we are chosen not so that we can look at ourselves as special, although we are in Christ, but we are chosen for a purpose. We become evidence of God's grace adopted into his family, yes, for his praise, through whom he reaches other people with the good news of Jesus. And if we leave off parts of that, we get messed up with that word. There's a second word that's used, and that's holy. Holy means to set apart. In this context and others, it is set apart to God for his purpose. Once again, that's a word that we can get kind of sideways on. There are folks who say, well, we are to be set apart, to be separate. That's correct. But there is a purpose for that. It is for God. And God would have us separate and yet, and yet interacting with others. Set apart. While once we were sinners, now because our sins are forgiven, because we are reconciled to God through his redeeming, buying us back by Christ's blood, we are set apart to God. We are holy. Now, frequently that word is translated as saints. God, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 12, has qualified us. He has given, uh, let's see, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Once again, 
Our being called holy or saints is a word used of God's people, Israel, but also of Jesus. Think about this. The angel Gabriel referred to him as holy, said to Mary, the holy one that you carry will be of, uh, it, it come, is, is of God. The unclean spirits, Mark 1, refer to Jesus as holy. Peter uses it three times of Jesus, uh, once after Jesus asked the 12 if they wanted to stop following like others during a particularly difficult time. Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God, John 6. The second time, Peter references it directly in his Pentecost sermon, Acts 2, quoting from Psalm 16. And the third time, it's recorded in Acts 3, uh, when asked about how the lame beggar was healed. Part of that same story in the next chapter of Acts 4, the, the community, the faith community, together, uh, after Peter and John are released from the, uh, prison before the council identify uh, or, or by the, released by the council, refer to Jesus as the Holy One. Holy One. That's who you are. Saints. God doesn't call us sinners after we've responded in faith to God, after, we, after we've responded in faith to the king. The third word is what? Ho uh, chosen, holy, beloved. Paul uses the verbal form here, ones having been loved. In other words, ones who are loved. He used that same form from in Ephesians 1 passage that we looked at earlier, where it's translated as or the references to Jesus as the beloved one. As Jesus was beginning his ministry, before he did anything, immediately following his baptism by John, the Father said, this is my, what? Beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Those words were repeated at Jesus' transfiguration. It, and, and Luke includes the word chosen as well in that reference. It's not inconsequential that the Father speaks this of the Son before the Son, before Jesus, has done anything in the sense of ministry. He is called beloved. Once again, the words spoken about Jesus are now applied to all who are known by Jesus' name. Chosen, holy, beloved are, are words used of Israel. Chosen, holy, beloved are words used of Jesus. Chosen, holy, beloved are words used to identify us, you, me, together in Christ. So what are some implications of our identity as chosen, holy, and beloved ones? I'm pointing out three. There could be more. But I want to take them from the text itself. The first one that I mentioned is that we look at ourselves. Yes, if it needs to be in a mirror, that's fine. But also others as Christ. Let's start thinking of those in Christ, all of them as chosen, holy, and beloved ones, ourselves, but also others 
who've responded in faith. Now, if we're having other thoughts first as to identity, then maybe somehow we need to limit those inputs. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think of others by other words first. What is, then the natural question then is, what is forming me? What is forming us that I'm thinking that way? Second implication, what we emphasize then is not if someone is like us ethnically, economically, or politically, but rather how we cultivate the, character, the characteristics, the character that points to Christ. And Paul lists that in verses 12 and 13 and 14. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving, literally giving grace to each other as the Lord has given grace to us, so also we. And above all these, we are to put on what? Love which binds everything together in perfect harmony or completeness. So what practices are we cultivating in our lives to promote that Christ-like character? Are there things... I, uh, I don't know what I did with that. I had a little illustration up here, but I had a leaf, an oak leaf from, uh, from the, uh, the, the tree in our yard. They're finally almost all off. They've been dead for seven months. Why are they just now, those last stubborn ones, coming off. You know, they just can't hang on any longer. Well, sort of. It's because the buds are coming out. And I thought of this as being a great illustration of what Paul is saying here. When he talks about putting off sexual sins, sins of anger, and sometimes we spend so much time trying to put off that before we put on that we forget that maybe that's the way that the putting off really happens. And it's, it's counterintuitive. Oh, here's the leaf. There you go. It's counterintuitive. Because you say you got to put off the old before you put on the new. But the way Paul describes it is that perhaps in the putting on is the very way in which, by God's Spirit working in us, that putting off also happens. Now, one of the things that we emphasize in Christ and coming to Christ is we need to, you know, we need to really get into our Bibles and we need to pray. Absolutely. Those things have been uh, powerful. I could talk to you about those in my own life. One of the things that I've become to realize is that there are some other practices that Christians have used across the centuries beyond just those two things. 
And I held up this book, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. It's actually an older version. There are about 60 plus listed in here, a brief scripture reference or a brief description scripture reference and ways to practice um, that have been powerful. I encourage you to think about, is there, a, is there another practice, a habit that you can develop over a period of weeks? Try one for a month and see how God uses it. A practice to put on to help develop the very character of Christ. Third implication from our text, verses 15 and 16, we commit to the peace of Christ and the Word of Christ in our relationships in the body of Christ. Specifically, verse 15, we let the peace of Christ rule. It's the word we could translate umpire our hearts, settle our differences, the peace made possible by Christ's reconciling all things to Himself by the cross. We also let the Word of Christ, verse 16, richly dwell in us. And then what we verbally share, Paul talks about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Some of, some of us are not that great. If we sang to, to each other, we wouldn't be that necessarily encouraged. That's not what Paul is talking about. Although, it, if you can sing, great. It, the point is the lyric, okay? What do the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs do? They're words about God, about Christ, that point to Him and give Him praise. And those are the kinds of things that as we teach, as we interact with each other, that's what encourages. That's what is powerful in each other's lives. So, have you trusted Jesus? Are you in and with Christ? If not, then that's the first place today for you to think about. Are, am I walking with Christ? Am I, do I desire to be one who follows, who walks with Him? That's the first place. Have I identified, do, do, when I talked about uh, what Paul talks about in chapter 2 about, about baptism, have I identified myself with Him, with His death, with His resurrection, the one who paid to forgive my sins and reconcile me to God. When we respond in faith, God calls us one of His chosen, His holy, and His beloved ones. Don't let anyone, don't let yourself begin with any other words but those first those first, we share Christ. That's our identity. That's our true identity together. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is so practical. Words written a couple thousand years ago to this small group of believers. And yet, Lord God, in the midst of society today, in the midst of all the things we experience, all the ways we are, we are we are told we must 
view ourselves or identify with, not that those things we don't have to deal with, but God, that we start from the place that you see us. And oh God, if, if, if we don't see ourselves that way and we, we don't even know if we're in you, then maybe today, Lord, is that day we, we say, God, God I, wa- I want to be known as what we sang about as part of your family, what we've read about, what we've heard about. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your good work in us, for this body, this group of believers, for their leaders, their pastors and elders, for your presence today in Jesus' name. Amen.